0: It is the series Word of the Week, and so if you are like me and like the flexibility of not really knowing exactly what's going to happen week to week, this is your month. This is your month. So uh, we went from politics of man and politics of God last week to today. I'm going to teach a message titled, For What Profit? For What Profit? I want to read one scripture up front. It's found in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 beginning in verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 beginning in verse 7. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For the profit of all. So I want to teach a message titled, For What Prophet? Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that it's on the ground of Jesus, the ground of his finished work, his holy blood. He is our righteousness that, Lord, we come before you expecting and confident that you have mercy, that you have help. And we thank you for the great helper, the Holy Spirit. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help our heart and our mind to be open to your will and to your way, that we would grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Holy Spirit, make much of Jesus. I yield to you. And we ask for your supernatural witness and working to be amongst us, in us, and through us that the bread of life, Jesus, would be manifested to those around us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We were looking at the third person of God's nature, the person of the Holy Spirit, in the month of September. And it is upon that remembrance that I want to build for what God has pressed upon my heart today. Notice in our main scripture, Paul declares that the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the profit of all. When you think of the word profit he uses there, you can think also of for the benefit of all. Meaning the work and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is profitable for all of God's people. Notice... Paul views the ministry of the Holy Spirit as profitable. Profitable profitable for all the body of Christ. And this notion is also in accordance to the words of our Lord Jesus. In fact, in John 16 and verse 7, they'll put it on the screens. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. What you need to know is that the English word translated in that verse there in John, translated in English, advantage, is the same Greek word translated as prophet in our main scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 and 7. What does this mean? It means Paul and Jesus both communicate clearly that the ministry of the Spirit is for our prophet. Paul and Jesus communicate clearly that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is for your prophet, for the prophet of this church, for the prophet of us. And it's on the subject of prophet that I want to look at More today. This might be shocking to some of you, but did you know that the scriptures from Genesis and throughout deal with the question for what profit? For what profit? For what profit or benefit is what I'm doing? For what profit or benefit is it to serve and obey God? For what profit is the commands and the will? Of God. Every human asks this question. This is why the scriptures address this question. Because scriptures have been provided by God to expose and to divide the very depths of our questions. To expose and divide and to reveal the very depths of our intents, the very depths of our searching, to reveal the very depths of the desires of our heart. Now let me say up front today that I'm well aware that there is a false piety. A false sense of godliness that seeks to ignore away this reality. This reality that we as humans actually go through life asking in the depths of our heart for what profit? To what benefit is this for? There is a false piety that seeks to put a chasm between the idea of serving God and simultaneously being able to ask the question, for what profit? It's sad many have done this throughout history, and many still do so and suppress this issue of for what profit. Many today still seek to try and separate it from biblical spirituality. But it's sad because the Scriptures do not do that. The Scriptures do not do that. And to build upon what Pastor Craig said when it comes to you and I, you and I often think that we are better than you and I actually are. This is the issue of humanity. This is the effects of sin. And you and I are not that great. And God knows that. And God, all through scriptures, deals with and addresses a question that you and I consistently have resounding on the inside of us if we will be honest and transparent before God. For what profit is this? For what profit shall I serve God, seek God, surrender to God, obey God? In fact, Job repeatedly asks and wrestles, with the issue of, for what profit? For what profit has his devotion to God been? How has it benefited him now as he sits on his ash heap, his family dead, his body diseased, his business lost, and his wife nagging him as an instrument or a tool of bitterness, trying to captivate his soul? God consistently, to his old covenant people, The nation of Israel seeks to convince them through his word that he desires that they would profit in life. That God as our creator actually desires you and I as humans to profit in life. That he didn't create us so that he could damn us. He didn't create us so that he could create scenarios that we would keep failing and keep stumbling. That God actually desires us to profit in life. Profit is according to God's design. We find it consistently in the Old Testament and in the Scriptures that God says to the Old Covenant people, the nation of Israel, I desire that you would be profitable. That God desires them to benefit in life and that His words and His commands were given so that they would profit in life. That they would be profitable. In fact, He would send His prophets warning them that they are seeking and following Ways that do not profit them individually nor as a nation. He would send prophets telling them that they were walking after things that actually did not profit them. Though it appeared temporarily to profit them. That they were actually going about their life in all actuality doing great evil against themselves. You find in the scriptures that There were those who were saying to the nation of Israel and to the old covenant people of God that you can live any way you want and still profit according to the will of God. And yet they were actually false prophets who did not profit the people of God. They were prophesying a false peace. They were prophesying lies that you can have and experience the beneficial will of God by living any way you want. They were telling the nation of Israel lying words that did not profit the people of God. In fact, Solomon looks at the affairs taking place under the sun and repeatedly asks the question as an observer, for what profit is this? Paul many times in his letters says he's writing such things, such commands, such exhortations for their profit. Now when we work through this issue of for what profit it helps if people were to take the time to understand that the Scripture exposes a form of profiting, that in all reality and actuality is no profiting at all. And it contrasts it with a way to profit that in the eyes of God and in the mind of God and in the ways of God, in reality, is profiting in life. In fact, this is what Jesus, the King of the Kingdom, speaks of as recorded in Matthew 16 in 26. He says, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Here is Jesus, in fact, carrying on the question that Job brought up. Job, the oldest, oldest book in the Bible, the oldest scripture of the Bible, and here's Jesus carrying on that question that Job brought up. And here is the real shocker for many people today. You ready? God, our Creator, really does want us to profit throughout our life. That His commands and His will are given for this purpose. And for those of us who have been reconciled back to our Creator through our relational trust to Jesus Christ, And now know God as Father. How much more does He desire us as His redeemed children to profit in life? But here's the thing. God's desire for us to profit throughout our life is an integrated profitability. God's desire for you and I to profit in life is a type of profitability that is integrated into all areas of our life. It is, in, it is in accordance to how He has designed His will to come about. Let me explain it this way. God does not desire for us to experience profit in one area of life that leads to devastation in another aspect of life. God's profitability is to be integrated that when we experience and seek to experience the profitable will of God in one area of life, we experience it in a way that it doesn't lead to devastation or destruction in other areas of life. This is, for instance, when financial profit actually does not profit. It's what we just saw Jesus said, if one is profiting in the aspects of worldly goods and possessions but is losing their soul." is losing the peace of the kingdom, is losing their will to corruption and their emotions to negativity, that in the end is not profiting at all according to God and in His eyes. You can ask Balaam, the prophet, about a prophet that did not profit the prophet. (laughs) Balaam sought financial gain that did not profit him because it was against the way that God had for him to do it, and he ended up becoming a false prophet in his character. The point is this, is that one can be working hard and working long hours and even experiencing the pain that comes with such work, but it may not actually profit because it pulls one away from being able to profit in other areas of life before God that we might be profiting in our work and financially, but if it's pulling us away from God's will and desire for our family, for our physical health, for our emotional health, from moving forward in God's call upon our life, from being with God's people, from being able to draw close and grow in Christ, then it's not a profitability at all in the end. And here is the tension, my friends. Here is the tension of experiencing integrated profitability that I many times find myself getting very frustrated. It's in the tension of experiencing not just God's profitable will in one area of my life, but experiencing an integrated profitability experiencing God's will in one area, yet not to the diminishing or the devastation or the destruction of experiencing His will in other areas of my life. It's within that tension that I find myself so often frustrated. So often I find myself saying, God, it's you who've commanded in your will, in your word, that if I do not work, I do not eat. That if God, if I don't take care of my family, then I'm worse than an unbeliever. And here I am, knowing the will of God, and I go to move forward and experiencing the will of God, and as I'm doing what is clear is the will of God, and yet I find other areas of my life seemingly suffering because I'm seeking to do the known will of God. And it's in that frustration that at times in my pride, I dare to say, oh God... Your will, as revealed in your word, doesn't actually profit. It's not actually profiting my life and my experience. And I think if we all could be transparent and honest today, there are issues in areas, not just financially, but many areas where we find in this tension and frustration our heart asking the question that as humans, God knows it will ask, for what profit is this for? For what profit of doing this? Now let me share where I've arrived with such frustration. Such frustration becomes a reminder and then a potential invitation to accept that Jesus is not just the truth, That He's not just the life that is forever. That Jesus is just not the will of God and the goal for what every child of God is to be conformed to, but Jesus is also the way. That Jesus is not just the will of God, He's also the way of obtaining the goal. He's also the way of living the truth. He's also the way of having the heavenly life, the heavenly kingdom break into my experience. And areas of my life. That Jesus is not just the will of God, He's also the way to carry out and experience the will of God. See, this frustration many times is also a form of profitable pain. The Bible speaks that there is a pain that is profitable. In Hebrews 12 and verse 10, it's what counselors would call good pain. What is good pain? Good pain is pain that can lead to biblical growth. Good pain is pain that can lead to healing and the way to experience the profitable plan and will of God in integration and in a healthy way. Let me explain. In life, in areas of life, there is the what to do, but there is also the way to do it. When it comes to areas in life, there is the what should be done, but there's then also the way it should be done. That I have found that I can be doing the right thing, but not have integrated profitability because I'm doing the right thing in the wrong way. See, there is the will of God and the way of God. And Jesus is both and. Jesus is the example, He is the pattern, not just of the will of God for us as humans, but He's also the pattern of the way to go about doing the will of God. See, oftentimes we have already come to know and accept the will of God, but now we need to know the way to do it to carry it out. See, many times, and this is a good habit, this is the the uh This is the rhythm we should have. This is sort of the posture we should have. As many times we go to the Word of God to learn the will of God, but then we default back to trusting and depending on our own way of doing it and carrying it out. That many of us have been around... Scripture or the church or experience enough of life to know that in the Word of God we can find the will of God about areas and matters in life. And we have allowed what we've been through and we have allowed the seasons of life and our experience of life to get us in a consistent rhythm that when we're asking questions on, about the what to do, about the will of God, we know to go to Scripture because Scripture is a light unto our path. that it can bring clarity, it can reveal God's will. But then once we come to find out what the Word says about it, we then fall back and default back to seeking to go about doing it, trusting in our own ability and way. And Jesus, He says in John 6, 63, He says, the flesh profits nothing. Now, my flesh doesn't like that. Because surely, Chad Craig, my human ability, surely there's something, God, that's profitable in and of myself for your kingdom. Jesus said, no. No. The flesh profits nothing. This is the gospel. This is the offense of the gospel. This is the message of the cross. That we all became unprofitable due to sin's effect on our life. So God made a way in His mystery through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to make an entire new creation, an entirely new person, an entirely new creation, that you're not just a mixture of the old you and now some new you. No, if any man, if any woman be in Christ, we are a new creation. God said, I got to make an entirely new creation because the flesh profits nothing. And everything about your flesh and my flesh will squirm to resist that. But that's the gospel. It's the cross that stands before you and I. God making His declaration that your flesh and my flesh profits nothing for what His desire is, but He made a way where He doesn't just have to forget about us, where He doesn't just have to destroy us. He can make us into a new creation, into a new vessel where He can put His treasure, the beauty of the person of Christ, the only one who's perfect, the only one who's worthy, the only one who's beautiful, the only one that's the hope of the nations, the only one who's worthy of praise in us. And put Christ in us, the treasure, in earthen vessels. Earthen vessels. Listen to me. The flesh does not even profit when we seek to do the will of God in the flesh. The flesh profits not even when doing what you know is the will of God. The flesh profits nothing. And as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we have been called unto Him. And He is our Master and the great Rabbi and the great Teacher. He is our Lord and as a follower of Him, we are to learn this new yoke and rhythm and life as the new people of God. Under the new covenant of God as the new creation of God, meaning this. We are learning the will of God and also the way of the Spirit in doing it. So many of my frustrations are the result of me seeking to do the known will of God in my way instead of His way. Doing right things, but in the wrong way. And so often in Western culture, we rejoice in knowing the will of God because we are so knowledge-oriented. That you and I oftentimes, because of the culture we live in, we rejoice just in the fact that we know God's will regarding an area. And we rejoice in that as if that is sufficient to all God has for us and it's not sufficient. Because Jesus is not just the will of God, He's also the way to go about doing the will of God. It is necessary to know the will of God, but knowing the will of God is not sufficient enough. I have found our difficulty seems to be surrendering to the way of the Spirit to accomplish the will of God. And so often we just want to stay and rejoice in what is the will of God, but our struggle, our flesh struggles within also accepting and surrendering to the way of the Spirit and accomplishing the known will of God. And this thrust me consistently into the context of of dealing with the issue of surrender and control. That we can have the knowledge of His will in an area and stay in control, but we cannot walk in the way of God and stay in control. Jesus, when He said, hey, if you want to follow Me, He said, take up your cross and follow Me. He didn't just say, come to learn my will. No, no, He says, you got to also take up your cross and follow me as the way. Because He knows that you and I have a propensity that we can seek to do the will of God, but not by the wisdom of God. And watch this. Just like I do not decide what the will of God is for my life, I do not get to decide what the way of fulfilling God's will is either. So let me ask us this question. Have you surrendered to the will of God? But now maybe your frustrations are seeking to get you to surrender to the way of God and going about doing the will of God? Let me say it again. Have you surrendered to the will of God, but... Now maybe your frustrations are seeking to get you to surrender to the way of God and going about doing the will of God. And I believe it's right here that multitudes of good church attending, Bible carrying, Bible reading, people stay for life in areas of life. They stay here. Because there are many things about His way that bothers my flesh. It bothers my flesh that to experience the will of God that I know is His will and is clear in Scripture, that I have to actually seek Him with my whole heart in that area to experience. That bothers my flesh. That God has made it where you just can't be haphazard about what you know is the will of God and experience the will of God. That bothers my flesh. I want to experience what I know is the will of God, but to determine the way in order to experience the will of God. See, I I want to not have to count the cost. Watch this. I find that I want to determine the cost. And you're no different. And I'm going to talk a lot about me because I know it's uncomfortable when I talk about you. So just as I talk about me, realize that I'm talking about you as well. Because the flesh profits nothing. But I find myself frustrated. God, I know it's your desire to heal of every. Emotional tragedy and every negative emotion. I I know it's your will to give me beauty for ashes. God, I know it's your will to save the lost. I know it's your will for the kingdom to break in and the powers of darkness to be broken. That generational curses have no expression. That I walk in the spirit and experience the promises of God and reign in life through Jesus Christ the way. But I find myself frustrated because I want to determine the cost on how to experience what I now know is the will of God. And the Scriptures says the cost is, is, if you'll seek to experience it with all your heart, you'll find the will of God experientially. But if it don't mean enough to you to seek it with all your heart, then God doesn't release us experiencing even what we know is the will of God. And so many people stay there in frustrations, and that's where justification... That's where we begin to talk ourselves out of. And we create theologies of men that we know actually goes against what Jesus said and demonstrated in the early church model, because it's a lot easier to make reasons of why I'm not experiencing the will of God than to come to the reality that, no, it's just my flesh wants to stay in control on how to experience the will of God. And I'm still struggling with surrender and with control. See, to operate in spiritual power, we don't get to determine the way. To experience physical healing for those of us that need it, we don't get to determine the way. And are you, like me at times, okay with the will of God, but not okay with the way God is requiring you to go about doing it? See, I still believe that Scripture is clear, that God has designed and desires me to have profit in raising my children. I still believe that in the will of God, He's designed for me to be profitable and what He's called me to, and to the work that He's put before me. I still believe that God's will is that our marriages would be strong, and that Christ would hold them together. I still believe that God's word is clear, that He desires us to profit in areas of life. But I believe the frustration many of us are facing today is, but what is the way He's designed for us to experience raising? Great children. What is the way he's designed for us to build that business? What is the way he has desired, designed for you to have a great marriage? What is the way He has designed for you to grow relationally with others? What is the way He has designed for you to be healed of your hurts? The way He has designed for you to deal with your debt? The way He has designed for you to get over the past? The way He has designed for you to grow in grace? The way He has designed for you to move forward in His calling on and for your life. So let me ask again in a different way. Have you come to accept that the word and will of God is for your profit, for the areas of life, but currently frustrated about the way God has designed for you to experience that profitable will of His? I'll say it again. Have you come to accept that the word and will of God is for your profit, for the areas of life, but currently frustrated about the way God has designed for you to experience that profitable will of His. The surrender of accepting the will of God as found in the Word of God, but then there is the surrendering of following the way of God to experience and move forward in that will. And it is here that frustrations can be possibly good pain. Good pain to be reminded and experience that Jesus is the actual way and only way to have an integrated profitability in and through our life. Without Jesus as the way, as trusting and depending on Him to move forward in the will of God, we'll get out of balance. Your flesh, my flesh, can never find balance. It constantly goes from extreme to extreme. And such fr- frustrations can also help us be reminded of a future prophet. Remember in Matthew 26, we read where, our 16 where Jesus said, For what profit is, a ma- is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for a soul? But then it continues, Matthew sixteen twenty-six. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He will reward each according to His works. Such frustrations can remind us that even if we don't see the prophet now, obeying and trusting in the will of God and the way of God to go about the will of God leads to rewards then. That Jesus, our King, He is returning and He's returning with rewards with Him. This goes back to what I said in the beginning about the false piety where people try to separate the issue of humans, us asking the question for what profit as if the Bible says that it's wrong to seek to do God's will and at the same time ask the question for what profit. Jesus Himself understands that we need motivation. Motivation. And Jesus Himself in Scripture is clear that one of the motivations that He puts before us is the idea of rewards. That even if we don't see the reward of obeying Him now, even if the cost seems to deal so strongly with with our will now, that when He returns, He'll reward us as we followed Him in the way of fulfilling the will of God. So such frustrations can help us be reminded of future profit. But such frustrations can also help us be reminded of God's current primary will for His children. As long as I'm here, you'll hear it time and time again. God's number one will for your life is that you would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That Christ would be formed in you. That you would come not to know an outward form of godliness devoid of power, but you would know the true power of the cross and true power of God's godliness to write His character upon our heart and minds. That Christ would be formed in us and we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And as oftentimes such frustrations can remind us of this primary will of God for us, His children. That it can be used to remind us to understand that God cares more about this conformity than He does our comfort. This is when tragedy, this is when trials, this is when tension are profitable for moving forward in the true profitable will will of God for our lives of being conformed to the image of Jesus. Now let's tie all this back together. It is the Father... And Jesus, after he ascended and sat down at the right hand of God, who poured out and gave the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who Jesus said, is for our prophet. The Holy Spirit, who Paul said, the Holy Spirit's ministry is also for our prophet. And the scriptures refer to the Spirit of God in many ways, but one way related to this today is scriptures refer to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Wisdom. The Holy Spirit is for our profit because the Holy Spirit leads us in the way of wisdom, in the way of true kingdom profitability. The Holy Spirit is here to lead us in the way of doing the Word and the will of God. Now let me talk about Jesus for a moment. God, through the prophet Jeremiah, prophesied the coming king, the coming Messiah, Jesus. And in Jeremiah 23 and verse 5, God says to the prophet Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Now we know that that day has come. It came different than the nation of Israel thought it would come. We live in what's called age two biblically, a time of mystery called the time of Gentiles while waiting for age three where Jesus returns physically and sets up his visible kingdom for a thousand years on the earth. But this day has come, the king has came, the king has given his life and he has made a way for us to be reconciled back to our creator. He's made a way for forgiveness to be possible, where peace with God can take place, where he can give us a new heart, a new capacity to be profitable in the kingdom of God. And the king, Jesus, shall reign and prosper. What's interesting though is the Hebrew word there for prosper, it means act wisely. Here's what the prophet declared and what we now know through the person of Jesus. Is that the king's prospering is directly related to acting wisely. The king's reign and rule being profitable is directly proportionate to him acting wisely. Likewise, for you and I, us reigning in life is directly related to acting wisely. For you and I, To reign in life experiencing the promises of God that are not yes and no or yes and maybe, but yes and amen. To experience the promises of Jesus that is as consistent as His character, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, is directly related to us acting wisely. This is the issue we've been talking about. That it's one thing to come to know the will of God in the Word of God. It's another thing to be led by the Spirit of wisdom to follow the way forward and to experience the will that we now know from the Word of God. And you're not going to believe it. So I'm going to tell you to help you believe it. But I did a word search for every time the word prophet is used in Scripture. And it happened again. You say, what happened again? Well, you remember I preached a message not too long ago on hope? And I did a word search in the preparation and the studying for that message on hope. I did a word search for every time Scripture uses the word hope. And when I did, if you don't remember or you weren't here for that sermon, let me Remind us of what happened. When I did the word search for hope, it listed every verse in the book of Job as containing the word hope in it. Now, if you've never read the book of Job, every verse doesn't actually say hope. But the word search, when I searched for hope, said that every verse in the book of Job contained hope in it. Why? Because God knew the end before he allowed what Job went through. He declared and determined the end before he allowed the trials and everything else. So we look at each verse and all those verses, we don't see, Job didn't see how it was going to end, but God did. And therefore, when we read Job, every verse is filled with hope that your today doesn't have to determine your tomorrow that even though maybe the fulfillment of God's promise and God's vision has tarried, still write it down, still make it plain to you, that though it tarries, it shall come to pass if the Lord has determined it and Holy Spirit's created faith in your heart for it. Can I hear an amen? Well, this time when I searched for prophet, I kid you not, it listed every verse in the book of Proverbs. It said that there was 915 verses in the book of Proverbs that contained the actual word prophet in it. Now, if you haven't read Proverbs, God forgives you. That's a joke. But every verse does not actually say prophet in it. And I knew the Lord was just confirming again. Because, see, the book of Proverbs is given to you and I that we might obtain wisdom. The Spirit of God all through the book of Proverbs is called the Spirit of Wisdom. Solomon, who wrote the majority of Proverbs, when he prayed and God said, you can have whatever you ask, he said, God, give me wisdom. And the Bible says he enlarged his heart. Why? Because there's so many areas of life. It's one thing to have wisdom, about your current work, it's another thing to have wisdom about gazelles, about relationships, about money, about the economy, about building. About this. God had to enlarge Solomon's heart because there's so many areas of life. And therefore in Proverbs we find that it's given to us that we might learn how to profit in the will of God by learning also the way of God to move forward. In, it. in fact, Proverbs 4.11 says the way of wisdom. Proverbs 18.4 says a fountain of wisdom. Come on, Jesse. And so I have sensed that so many, not just here, but those listening, so many in America, in the Western church, are consistently at this crossroad of frustration Because they know that they know what the will of God is. They know that they know what the Scripture is clear on. That is God's will in His Word. And yet they have found, it seems like the will of God is being deferred. And that's because there's not just to be an accepting of the will of God as found in the Word of God, but then there also must become the consecration and the surrendering of the way of wisdom, the way God has chosen for you to move forward in fulfilling the will that you now know. And I want the Holy Spirit to fire in your heart again that you weren't wrong in knowing what you thought was the will of God. You're not wrong in what you've been waiting and expecting. It's just you also have to come to the point of seeking at all cost the wisdom of the Spirit of what is the way to move forward and experiencing what had sparked in your heart as God's will for your life. Pastor Craig, he ended last week. He mentioned a scripture. Proverbs 11 and 30, where it says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. And he didn't mention the exact verse. He mentioned about believing for a season of soul winning. And as I put all this together in the study, wrestled it out with the Lord, I felt that there needed to be three reminders for us as a community and us as individuals regarding the way of wisdom as we seek as dwelling place church to fulfill the will of God for us. See, as a community of believers, we know what the will of God is for us. He's made it clear from day one. We're to gather people to Jesus Christ and lead them to biblical maturity for the multiplication of believers, leaders, and churches. We're going to see Christ manifested in many ways to many people. We're clear on the will of God for us. The clear sounding alarm and trumpet for you and I as believers in this fellowship. But three reminders as we seek to fulfill the will of God that's known and it's clear regarding trusting in the way of the Spirit. The way of the Spirit's wisdom as we move forward seeking to fulfill the known will of God. The first is, in whose words are we trusting in? that we got to be reminded to trust in the way of the Spirit's wisdom. That as we know it's God's desire to reach people, to transfer people out of darkness into His marvelous light, to set people free from the torment of guilt and shame, the bondage of oppression and addiction, that as we seek to move forward in that will that we're clear and we know is the heart of God, That the way of the Spirit's wisdom regarding whose words are we trusting in? We're not to trust in our own words. We're not to trust in our own opinions. But like Paul told the young minister, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2.14, he said, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. And the way of wisdom is, listen, listen, We can get in social media. We can get in dialogues. And we can, if we want, choose to try to reach people and see the will of God but not follow the way of the Spirit and be more more focused on expressing our feelings and our opinions about matters of culture or things around us. Not just to the prophet, but here it says to the ruin of the hearers. And God forbid we as a people, as a church, try to fulfill the will of God and reach people, but go against the way of God's Spirit and begin to try to use our words to convince people to the reality that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. But God's power to convict is found in the Word of God, not in our own words. That we can't trust in our opinions, we got to trust in the authority of God's unchained Word. That there is not just the flesh being disturbed, stirred right now in our culture for debate, but there's demons seeking to create division through words. And to hit our homes and to hit our relationships. It goes back, whose words are we trusting in? Because listen to me, people and culture will try to pin you on an opinion. But we need to remember it was Jesus who was pinned to the cross so that we do not have to depend on our own opinions. We're not trusting in our own opinion, friends. We're trusting in what God has declared and demonstrated that Jesus is the King. That through His crucifixion, death, and resurrection, it has forever silenced the reality that Jesus is who He said He is. And I heard this week, the turn is in the tongue people's turning the backsliders turning is in the tongue even salvation the turning's on the tongue he said if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth you will be saved and delivered but in James five nineteen, it says he who turns a backslider from his way of heirs will save a soul from the multitude of sins oh and I hear I hear the heartbeat of the Father for his prodigals, for the backsliders, for those that's been grasped by the hands of religion. And the turn for them is not in our opinion and our own words, but trusting in the Word of God, that the Father has mercy that will triumph over judgment, that there's still a signet ring, there's still a robe, there's still a cleansing that can take place, there's still a balm of Gilead that can heal. That there's still a revival that's been purchased for you at times of refreshing can still happen the turn is in the tongue that we care more about declaring and trusting in the word of god than our own opinions secondly in our work we know it's the will of god in our work we know most of us that where God's led us in our work is we're there right now because it's the will of God in this season. But the way of wisdom is also the way of, in which we work. It looks different in the new covenant, but God makes clear the weight of it in the old covenant. Let me explain. In Isaiah 58:13, it's known as the fasting chapter. And God tells the nation of Israel, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and calling the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor Him, watch this, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high heels of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Jeremiah twenty-three ten. God says their might is not right. See, mean they got a lot of might. They got a lot that's happening, but it's not right. It's not according to the way of wisdom. It's not beneficial. It's not an integrated profitability. You remember what God told Zerubbabel in Zechariah four six? He said, "It's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit," saith the Lord. And what God began to teach the nation of Israel is He's got to have space for His grace to enter into our work. That one of the ways of wisdom for you and I and the culture we live in is, listen, America's built on a principle of hard work. You're not going to capture the attention of unbelievers just because you work hard. Our culture accepts working hard for generations. Understands that. And the nation of Israel was trying to do the same thing. Working like the nations around them to get ahead. And God said, no, no, no. I need space to release my grace. I need space so that my grace can come in. And it can lead to a greater result than if you just depended on all of your work. Jeremiah 17, 5, the Lord said it again to His old covenant people. He says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Now we would all agree to that. We say, no, of course, whose heart departs from the Lord. But what the prophet then speaks is how they're departing from the Lord. This is where we got to be reminded of the way of wisdom. For he shall be like a shrub in a desert, shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. And blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. And then he continues on in verse 21. Thus says the Lord, take heed to yourselves. Bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your house on the Sabbath day, nor do any work. But hallow the Sabbath day as I command your fathers. Come on, team. But they did not obey nor incline their ear, but, watch this, made their neck stiff that they might not hear nor receive instruction. And it shall be if you heed me carefully, says the Lord, to bring no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day to do no work in it. Then shall enter the gates of this city kings and princes. And he goes on. What's he saying? The principle of this Sabbath. In the New Testament, the Sabbath looks different because now we've entered a type of rest that when we go about our work, it's not just us working, but Christ in us empowers the work. But watch this, you and I though, we get forgetful that as we go about work, Christ is in us to help empower us to be successful in the work He's called us to. So there still is the principle of the Sabbath to create space to remember that we need God's grace that God's grace can come upon our life as believers and He can empower us to experience things in our work that unbelievers can't experience. Listen, I don't just want to have what I have because I worked hard for it. I want to have some space where I can point to God's grace and tell people that I don't deserve this, that there has been the favor of God that's made this available, that Jesus gets some glory in it. God's saying, I'm looking for some believers that will honor the principle of Sabbath that will give me some space and will say, Lord, let your grace come in here. That I'm going to trust in you. That when I'm not working, you're working like we sing. When I don't see it, I know you're still working. Lord, I give you space for your grace to come and to do more than I deserve. More than my hands can do for my trust is in you, not in the strength of my flesh. Thirdly, not just in our words and whose words we're trusting in, and not just in our work and who are we trusting in our work, but thirdly, in our welcoming. That as a community, we need to be reminded of the way of wisdom as we seek to see more lives revived and more people saved, religious set free and people filled with God's Spirit. That in our welcoming, we would be reminded that the way of welcoming is that there would be no partiality. In James three seventeen, when it talks about heavenly wisdom, it says that heavenly wisdom is without partiality. In James chapter 2, and verse 1, he says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of my Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in the good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there. Or sit here at my footstool? Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen to me, friends. When we come into the gathering, I don't want to keep you from your friends that are here. I just don't want anyone here not to have any friends. I I don't want to keep you from being welcomed by your friends. I just don't want someone to come here and not feel welcomed. And as we seek to see God expand the reach in His kingdom through this community, we got to be reminded of the way of wisdom as we seek to move forward in the will of God that we do it without partiality. That in our welcoming, all people right where they're at are welcomed. It's their choice whether they stay, but they're going to be welcomed to at least have a context where they want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord, they can. Regardless of color, regardless of current religion, regardless of current status and lifestyle, that they are welcomed here and we open up at this space without partiality. So three reminders for us as a community in the way of wisdom as we seek to fulfill the will of God and whose words are we trusting, our own opinions or the unchanging Word of God. Are we trusting just in our own work or efforts? or Are we, through the principle of New Testament Sabbath, creating some space for His grace to come in? And we, in our welcoming, are we doing it without partiality? In conclusion, let me talk just back to each of us individually. Maybe, just maybe, you're like me. And your current frustrations are an invitation to know not just the will of God, but the way of God, to experience the will of God in a profitable way. And all the Lord's saying is just surrender. Just surrender and accepting the way, just like you in the beginning surrendered and accepting His will. Look away from you and your flesh and look to the spirit of wisdom who will lead you to follow Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.